0: Good morning. two Corinthians twelve, one to ten. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows was caught up to paradise, and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, um, I don't know if what I was up there was very similar to what I was reading, I hope it was. Um, so, as a context, you've had lots of contexts over um, the last time we've been reading Corinthians. Um, this is the last letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. And we can see throughout these letters that Paul has a really deep love for the Corinthian church. He writes letters, he visits, and he's just got such a deep love. But the Corinthian church have been swayed time and time again from from the teaching that Paul has been teaching. They've had false prophets and... um, super apostles come and Paul has been trying to correct some of the teaching that they've started to buy into and they've been swayed by the world all the worldly things that have gone on so Paul's letters are to try and correct this when I was reading some of this I was thinking actually for those of you who are parents or who look after young children I can see some of Paul's in the role of a parent in these letters. That actually his heart and love for the Corinthian church is that of a parent. He's nurtured them, he's looked after them, but he can also see the bigger picture. When you've got kids or even teenagers, they can't always see the bigger picture of what's going on around them. That their choices and the things that they're choosing are actually not good for them. As a parent or as an adult, we can see consequences of choices. And actually, Paul can see the Corinthian church making these wrong decisions and buying into the worldly and what these super apostles are saying. And Paul can see the danger in that. So his heart is just one of such compassion and love along with that correction for the Corinthian church. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks that Paul's tried to correct the Corinthians' teaching and their slightly tainted view of Paul as well. Um, And we saw last week Chris preached um, on all of the boasting that Paul has been doing in his weaknesses, in his struggles, in the suffering in the same way that the world does. So if you haven't listened to Chris's preach from last week, please do, because this preach follows straight on from what Chris said last week. So I'm going to come to verse 1. I must go on boasting. I kind of, as I was reading this, I kind of felt like, I don't know if any of you have had this, I've certainly had it, where you start on something and you just can't stop. You keep going, you keep saying things, they just keep coming out of your mouth. There's just this inside Paul, there's this urge, he just has to keep going on. So he's this comment here of, I must go on boasting. And I think we can all relate to it. And he says here, Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations and actually he knows that when he keeps saying things he may not be able to change their mind, he may not be able to have an impact, but there is a subtle shift here. He's gone from talking about the worldly and talking about all of the boasting of all the stuff that's happened to him, to then starting to boast about supernatural stuff, about revelations and visions. And so there's a shift from the negative worldly to the positive spiritual, that he's sort of changed his tact. I don't know if any of you talking to teenagers or kids have done that, kind of where you've got to that point of going, actually, I see I'm not making much headway here. I'm going to slightly change tact. Might not work, but we'll see. (laughs) So we go on, and Paul starts talking about this man who has had visions and revelations. And the commentaries all say, and everything I've read, suggests that Paul is actually talking about himself here. Even though he refers to himself in the third person, Paul is talking about himself. And we know that Paul regularly saw visions and revelations. He regularly had these things. But he's focused here on one particular example. Which is 14 years before, so it's a long time before that he's chosen to talk about this experience that he had. Now he talks, I'm going to have a slight, not divergence, but sort of slight talk about this bit here. So he's talking here that he was caught up to the third heaven. And that he doesn't know whether it was actually physically he was there or spiritually an out-of-body experience. He just doesn't know. And looking at the third heavens, we all know from the Living in Freedom teaching that the first heaven is this, this physical bit where we are. The second heaven is where all the angels and demons are, where the spiritual realm is. And the third heaven is where Jesus lives now. That's the kingdom of heaven. And that's where Paul was when he saw this vision, revelation, he was in that place where God reigns, that kingdom of heaven, he was there and I I was pondering this whole sort of thing and saying okay Lord show me more about this and it's just Paul is so, it's so all-encompassing, it's so, he's so consumed by this experience that he's had That he actually doesn't know whether it's a physical thing, a supernatural, a spiritual thing, or both, or whatever. He's there. And he doesn't care whether it is a physical thing or in the spirit. And I kind of was thinking, okay, we can all relate to Paul here. We've all had some sort of vision revelation we can all hear from God we heard that when Laurie did the school of the prophetic we can all hear God but how many of us actually have been in that place of revelation and vision where we've seen heaven where we've seen that third heaven we've been in that kingdom of heaven place and we're all on a different journey we're all in different places And I can hear some people saying, oh, can we actually go to that third heaven? Can we see in that spiritual place? Well, yes, we can. Because we've got scripture that says, Ezekiel was there. He saw the throne room of heaven. Daniel had a dream of heaven. And we've got the whole of Revelation. And the big thing is, Jesus is already seated in heaven, and God is in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. We're citizens of heaven. We're raised with Christ. We are already in that place, in that kingdom of heaven. We are already there. So we can see. We just need to ask. We're all on a different journey. We will all have different examples, different different experiences but Paul's here was so all-consuming that when he had that vision and that revelation he heard inexpressible things there were things that he didn't he couldn't explain he couldn't then speak out one of the translations I was looking at said things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words and another translation said, things too sacred to speak. And I think, wow, that's just quite mind-blowing to see things in that. But actually, Paul didn't see, he heard. If you look here, we've got, he heard (coughs) inexpressible things. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm such a visual person. I pick things up very visually. And for me, I was struck by heard. And I was like, Lord, what's the difference between the sort of seeing heaven and hearing heaven? What's the difference here? Why is it that he's just heard? And I was having this ponder on a dog walk. And I was looking where I was going, looking at the dog. And pondering this. And then all of a sudden, behind me, I heard noises. And I was like, ah, I get it. Seeing heaven, you only see where you are focused, where you are looking, you only see. Whereas sound is a 360 degree in all directions thing. You can hear everywhere. My kids always used to be quite astounded when I would appear when they were doing something they shouldn't. And then I would tell them to put the snack back in the cupboard that they'd taken without asking. And Benjamin was the only one that goes, how did you know? <laughs> because I heard you. I heard what you were doing. And then I heard that noise and I knew what that noise was. So hearing, you can hear things you don't always see. It's, and I th- I think, I was, I was pondering this, I just could see Paul so consumed by the sound of heaven and the sound of what was going on. It was all-encompassing. It was in him. It was through him. It was everywhere. It's like having heaven surround sound. It was just that, all sort of every direction, everywhere. And this experience stayed with Paul completely it was all consuming for him and this is why he was sort of wanting to highlight it because it was such a huge experience for him and I think we can have we all have varying degrees of different experience and revelation and visions and wherever we are and whatever we see is absolutely fine because we are all different and there will be times where we have more all-consuming experiences and times where we have just sort of normal, everyday experiences and visions and revelations. But the fact we have visions and revelations is the key bit here, I think. So in verse 5, are we? Um, this is a reminder that Paul is writing to contradict the super-apostles and how they're presenting themselves. And their super-apostles are trying to discredit Paul. They're trying to say, no, don't listen to him. This is the way we're going. But Paul, in this bit here, that he's talking about in verse 5 to 7, is he's sort of saying, actually, what's important here? Let me th- read it. it was like i will boast about a man like that but i will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses even if i should choose to boast i would not be a fool because i would be speaking the truth but i refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what i do or say keep going to keep me oh no to be keep me from being conceited becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations We'll pause there a second. So he's saying, What's important here? Is it that you're going to listen to people that look good, that present themselves well, but superficially and in a worldly way? Are you going to listen to them? Or are you going to listen to somebody who has this relationship with God, this deeper relationship? Paul's heart is surrendered to God. He's having these visions and revelations. It's a deeper relationship with God. And Paul is saying here, what are you going to choose? What's important here? And Paul isn't pointing to himself either. Paul is saying, hey, I've got weaknesses, but actually it's not about my weaknesses. It's about God. And all that God does in and through Paul, for God's glory, it's not for Paul's glory, it's for God's glory. And God does it through our weaknesses. I know a number of you know that I'm quite organized, and I like being organized, and, I'm, and I know that I'm good at being organized and being efficient. I know that. It's part of my original design. It's part of who I'm made to be. But there are times, because I'm strong in that, and I know that I'm good at it, I will just get on and do. And I just don't even think about it most of the time. I just get on and do. But actually, I'm not allowing God to work in that strength of mine, in who he's made me to be. My original design is not wrong, but the way that I go about doing things is I don't let God work. Rather than going, okay, Lord, I've got this to do. How do you want me to do it today? Or, Lord, help me do this. Is there a different way you want me to look at it? But actually, (laughs) that's my strength, organizing and, and admin. But standing in front of people is not my strength. And I know maybe many of you are going, oh no, it is. No, it's not. From a young age, I have always, always struggled standing in front of any size group of people and speaking, let alone having to preach. It is not my strength. It is not my comfortable place. It is a place where I scream inwardly (laughs) it is not a place but actually me standing here is me saying okay Lord I'm not good at this I know this is what you want me to do I can't do it on my own I can only do it with you working in and through me through this place of weakness and hopefully God is working through this and it's for his glory Not for me at all. So Paul, going back to the passage, Paul here then starts talking about this thorn in the flesh. He was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know here what thorn Paul is talking about. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh is. But there seems to be an indication and it pointing towards some kind of frustration, harassment, pain or torment. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be some kind of persecution. We just don't know. Paul did not tell us what his thorn in the flesh was. It could be that it was very obvious, so he didn't need to write it down. But one of the things I read when I was reading around this is that if Paul had told us what his thorn in the flesh was, if we didn't relate to it, we would dismiss everything he's saying here. And that's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to take heed like the Corinthians, as to what he's saying. So most of us, I think, can relate to that feeling of a thorn in the flesh. Whether it's physical, emotional, rubbish and stuff going on in life. Chris was talking last week about all the rubbish that goes on in life, all of the stuff that crowds in. And I don't think it's... Paul is talking about here a thorn in the flesh as something that comes and then goes. I think it's something that has stayed with him, that he lives with. That it isn't a surpassing thing, it's a, or a passing thing. It's a thing that stays with us. It's something that we struggle with, sometimes daily. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. And sometimes those thorns in the flesh can be really painful. And we can be in that place of pain and struggle. And I think there are, as I was pondering this, I was thinking there are different ways people can react to this. And one of the ways that, we, that I think we, we all of us, not, not pointing to anybody, I do it as well, that... When we live with a thorn in the flesh for a long time, or even a short time, we pretend that it's not there. We shelve it. We partition it and put it away. Because it's so painful, it's such a struggle, that we cannot then get on and live life. So we put this thorn in the flesh in a box over here, and we try and ignore it. Or it becomes so much part of us that we can't tell that it's a thorn in the flesh anymore. Because it just becomes part of us, of who we are. And I don't think either of those situations are right. Ignoring it, pushing it away, or being in a place where it is part of us is not what Paul's talking about here. And it's not where God wants us to live. But we do it because it makes life easier. We can get on with life. We're not consumed by that thorn in the flesh. And Paul here, he's struggling so much with his thorn in the flesh that he has pleaded with God to take it away. And I don't think it's a nice, Lord, I really don't like this, can you take it away? I think it's a pleaded It's a real deep thing. One of the things I was reading is that it was saying in the commentary that this is very similar. There was somebody else who pleaded three times for God to take something away. And that's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus didn't, wasn't nicely, nicely about it. Jesus was burdened by this thing. When you read in the Gospels of Jesus pleading with God to take away that carp, Jesus fell on his knees. He fell with his face to the ground. He was earnestly in anguish and sorrow. He had sweat dripping from him like blood. And I think, Paul, in some way, was pleading with God in that sort of deep, oh, Lord, take this away from me. I can't cope with it anymore. But for Paul and Jesus to both be able to be in that place and ask God to take it away, they had to acknowledge that they had that thorn in the flesh. They had that thing. And I think that's one of the first things we need to do is we need to acknowledge Our thorn in our flesh, whatever that may be. And I think, can we go to verse 9? Paul here, where it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God met Paul in that place. And I think that as Paul was pleading with God, he was in that place of also receiving visions and revelations. When we pray to God, we should be in that place of hearing from him, whether it's by visions or revelations or anything. When we pray, whatever we pray, we should be hearing from God. And I think God met Paul in this place of desperation But what I want to look here is then Paul goes on and says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. And I think that is a huge transformation and change in Paul's thinking. He's gone from that place of, God, take this away from me. I can't cope. To, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to tell everybody about my weaknesses. Look at what God's doing in me. That is a complete change around. And I think God met Paul in that place of desperation and of anguish and changed his perception on his thorn in the flesh. He's changed how Paul sees that situation, that circumstance, that thorn in the flesh it is a complete change, and I think in luke twenty two I haven't got the passage up here, but luke twenty two when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, it says that an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. and I think similar happened here to Paul God enc- or Paul encountered God and his mind Was changed, it was transformed. And I think Paul knows his weakness, he knows his thorn in the flesh. But in this transformation, he knows that God is going to work through that weakness. It's gone deeper, it's gone further down in him. And he knows that his thorn is not to be hidden like we often do with our thorns in the flesh. It's to be boasted about to show God's glory, not in a really arrogant way. We don't want to boast in an arrogant way. But it's about that transformation and change of thinking around a thorn in the flesh. And I think God meets us in those places where we are in anguish, when we are in desperation... And God will change our thinking and perception on what is going on with us, on that thorn in the flesh. I've got an example here. So most people, I think, were around, goodness knows how many years ago it was now, four years maybe, five years, um, where I stopped wearing makeup. I've had rosacea since my teens, And for me, the rosacea, my skin, is my thorn in the flesh. There are times where I've hidden it, where I've buried it, where I've chosen to ignore it. And part of wearing makeup was covering it up, was saying, nope, it's not really there, I don't really like it. But there was a point where I had done some decorating. I was in the shower and God spoke to me really powerfully and said, I want you to stop wearing makeup because I'm going to transform and change you and heal you. I was like, okay, Lord, I don't really like that. I don't really want to do that. I like hiding it. But I did as God asked me to do. And... I ended up that evening going to Encounter and I met God in that place in Encounter. And it hasn't been an overnight thing. It's been a journey where God has changed and transformed my thinking around the rosacea. He has used it many times. But now I don't see it. I still see it as a thorn in the flesh, but I don't see it as a negative. I don't see it as that complete thing that I want to get rid of. Yes, God's going to heal me at some point, fine. But there isn't that same desperation. There's been a complete and utter change and transformation in my thinking around it. And it's been an interesting talking point to people. When I first stopped wearing makeup. And actually, I also realized that there were people that were uncomfortable with me not wearing makeup because the amount of people I had suggest different treatments, different ways to help, because it made them uncomfortable. And often, when we start acknowledging, and start showing our thorns in the flesh, it can make other people uncomfortable. And they want to change us. But actually, God works in those places because God gives us strength and peace and a changed perspective. It's his grace that is working in us that changes us, and that is the witness to other people. We're coming to the end, heading towards landing in. So at the end here, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And Paul here is saying, show those weaknesses and difficulties, but in a humble way, don't be arrogant about it. Because when we acknowledge our stuff, it strips it of its power to diminish and hide us. And God works in and through those difficulties. And those around us see his power. They see his strength. They see him in us, working in us, whether they realize it or not. Their spirit sees something of God in us. And in this passage, Paul is pointing towards God to his power, and his strength, and his grace. Yes, we all have rubbish. We all have stuff going on. But God is here to work in and through us, to pour his strength into us, to pour his grace into us. And that is through visions and revelations And that intimate, deep relationship with him. But we have to come to him. And we have to acknowledge that we are weak. And that we need his strength. And in that we receive his grace. His peace. His power. And his strength. And as it says in the last line here. For when we are weak. He is strong for his glory, not ours.